really get this. Our children are ours for a while so they can be God's forever. Ours for a while so that they can be God's forever. Of this we can be certain as parents. There will come a day when God will ask us, how did you do with the precious soul souls I entrusted to your care? It may be one of the most telling things about us as Christians. How we help our children get home to God. Nothing more important than helping our children get home to God. I got to tell you, it's the kind of thing that preachers live for. It happened to me just a little over a month ago. I was preaching and I was dealing with the subject, the church with Jesus on the outside. The church at Laodicea, Revelation 3, 14 through 22. And there's that well-known passage about Jesus standing at the door and knocking. And see, here's a church that has many appearances of life and spirituality, but Jesus is actually on the outside knocking to get in. And as I was making that point in the sermon, I knocked on the pulpit. And a two-year-old little girl in the congregation who had been listening to the lesson said, Mama, Mama, and I could hear some of the conversation from the pulpit. <laughs> Jesus is at the door. <laughs> Jesus is at the door. Let's let him in. And she is trying to grab Mom by the hand and go to the front door of the church building in front of everybody because she wants to let Jesus in. And here's what she's saying, as only a two-year-old can. Let's let Jesus in. I will show you my new shoes. <laughs> and we'll play together. And I can be with Jesus forever. That's when a preacher knows that he is getting through. Because she made the point of the whole lesson better than I ever could. And at the end of the lesson, I picked that two-year-old child up and brought her in front of the whole congregation and she was just beaming. She was looking at everybody and smiling, you know. And I said, what Ellie understands is how important it is for every church, every church, to let Jesus in. When little people understand that, Jesus smiles. <clears throat> Jesus smiles. Let me give you some foundational passages concerning parenting. I do not speak as an expert. My wife is here and she will say kindly at press that I have made more than my fair share of mistakes as a dad. But these passages that are foundational will help us to look at preparing our children for adulthood. 
looking at the book of James especially for help there. Everybody with me? If you would, think of this passage, these passages with me. First of all, Psalm 127, Psalm 127. Except the Lord builds the house, they do labor in vain that build it. Psalm 127, verse 1. Think also of verses 3 through 5, how blessed is the man who has a quiver full of these arrows. These children. Because children are an heritage of the Lord. They're a gift from God. Every child should be viewed as a great gift from God. And a failure to see our children in that vein dishonors not only the child, but the God who gave that child to us. But not only is every child an inheritance, an heritage of the Lord, every child is a sacred trust. Ours for a while, so they can be God's forever. Ours for a while, so they can be God's forever. They can be with Him forever. Again, another foundational passage to think about relative to parenting in a way that honors God and brings our children to greater maturity in Jesus. Deuteronomy 6, 4-12. through 12, The Shema. It was such a well-known statement within Judaism and we ought to think about how it's got eternal truth in it for God's people. Good parents hear the Lord constantly. And they make sure their children hear about God and His Word constantly. Deuteronomy 6.4 Hear, O Israel. Secondly, godly parents love the Lord fervently. And they want their children to as well. To love the Lord fervently. Third, from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 12. Godly parents teach the young diligently. As our children were growing up, my wife often would have Bible verses in different places throughout the house and even in our automobile. But one of the most common places to find God's Word in the Vestal house when our children were growing up was the refrigerator door. <laughs> Teach the young diligently. From the time they wake up to the time they go to bed, God's Word is loved and respected. And we try to apply it. Fourth, as we look at Deuteronomy 6, 4-12, think about this. Remember the Lord faithfully. Remember the Lord faithfully. Do not forget all of the blessings that God has given. Now that we are grandparents, we have the blessing of being able to look back over a lifetime of God's rich blessings in the lives of our children and our grandchildren. You can too. Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4. What makes a house a home? What makes a home a godly home? 
By wisdom a house is built. By knowledge it is established. By insight its rooms are filled with all precious and wondrous blessings. Again, Proverbs 22, verse 6. It's a familiar one. Train up a child in the way he should go. It's a proverb. It's a general statement. Something that should be appreciated and thought about. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Think especially about the expression, the phrase, in the way he should go. Children's gifts and personalities are not exact replicas of their mom or their dad, are they? In the way they should go. We have a son and a daughter. They love each other very much, but they are as different as they could be. Jesus, in his extended family, the apostles, had a tax collector and a zealot. That's pretty much the way my two are. <laughs> Maybe you can relate to that. Proverbs 20 and verse 7. A righteous man leaves an inheritance. That's Proverbs 13, 22, excuse me. But 27 says a righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. Parents need to think about that. A righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, Proverbs 13, 22, I've just mentioned. And then, <coughs> lastly, it's a great question. It's asked by Isaiah to Hezekiah in 2 Kings 20, 15 through 18. It's applicable for any family, for any parents at any time. What have they seen in your house? What has your spouse seen in your house? From you? What have your children seen in mom and dad in your house? What have the neighbors and friends seen in our house? Most important, what has God seen and heard in our house? The one who knows all, sees all, and hears all. What has he seen in our house? Acts 1.24, 1 John 3 and verse 20. I want to encourage you as parents not to be perfect because to the best of my knowledge there has only been one. <coughs> but I want to encourage you to be faithful to the trust. And to understand that children are ours for a while so they can be God's forever. I want to encourage you to help your children get home. The book of James helps us a great deal in that matter. One of the most common expressions in the book of James is brethren. 
My beloved brethren. It's found about 19 or 20 times in the book of James. And while we often think of James as having a lot of information for individuals, and it does, really the book of James is written to the church. Every time we see the expressions, brethren or my beloved brethren, let's do something. Let's work through James and think of it as dealing with parenting. <coughs> because if James is dealing with principles that can help churches grow up and mature, Jerry, I don't think it's a, a ginormously wrong leap to think that there's going to be something of great value there to help parents grow up children to maturity and faithfulness in our God. Y'all ready? Fasten your safety belts, put on your crash helmets, and let's work our way through James. Because what I'm going to do is share with you 14 characteristics that godly parents will stress with their children. 14 characteristics that godly parents will stress with their, with their kids because they want to get them home. They understand that they're a gift from God and that they're a sacred trust, a stewardship. Look at James 1, verse 1. Parents, teach them to remember who they are and whose they are. Now, sister, in our house, that's a pretty common statement. Remember who you are and whose you are. Our grandchildren never come by without that being said. Remember who you are and whose you are. Now look at James 1 and verse 1. James had a humble view of himself. And yet, it's a precious view. James, the half-brother of the Lord, pillar of the church... James, a servant of God. We want to help them to remember, as even little people, they are little servants of a great, big, <coughs> awesome God. Same verse. James had a high view of God. Remember who you are. A humble servant, a little person serving a great, big, awesome God. Remember who God is. God and the Lord Jesus Christ. James has no problem linking the Lord Jesus Christ with God the Father in James 1.1. We shouldn't either. Jesus is God, fully God. Jesus is human, fully human, yet without sin. Hebrews 4.15 We want children to have a high view 
of who God is and what he's like. He's the Lord. He's the Savior, Jesus. He is the special one, the Messiah. They may not even know what those words mean when they're two or three. But as they grow and mature, they'll come to see great truths behind the concepts. Remember who you are and whose you are. Good parents, think about that. Look at the last part of James 1.1. To the twelve tribes scattered. The dispersion. See that? They have a loving view of the church, the people of God. We need to be careful how we speak of the church, especially around our children. I want my kids to love the church that Jesus bought and paid for with His blood. No, we are not perfect people, but we have an amazing God and we are cleansed people because of the blood of Christ. How we need to encourage as parents our children to have a deep love and abiding love for the church. That was number one. Remember who you are and who's you are. Parents, teach your children who they are and whose they are. Number two. James 2. James 1 verse 2 rather. And go through verse 12. Parents, help them when they go through trials to trust God to rejoice and to learn to endure so they will be blessed catch it James 1 2 through 12 parents help your children when they undergo trials <coughs> To trust God. To find something to rejoice in, in God. To endure. And to know that God will bless. That's hard to tell somebody who's 63, like I am. But if you start early with children, it can begin to make an impact. Friends, I'm talking about as parents, our seeking to model the principles before our children that I am discussing. I need to remember who I am and whose I am. I need to remember that when I am under trial to trust God, to find something to rejoice in, to endure and to realize that blessing awaits. So do you. When they hear you say this, that they see you live it, you are giving them really helpful instruction through your words and your life. Amen? And it's not a matter of if these times, these trials come. It's a matter of when. When you encounter these types of trials. Children cannot be shielded from every trial. Isn't that true? So we prepare them with an outlook 
that's godly for dealing with it. Third, parents. Help your children know how to properly respond to temptation. James 1, 13-18. Help your children to know how to properly respond to temptation. You don't blame God. You don't question God. Look at James 1, 13-18. A man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust and enticed. When lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, bring, it brings forth death. It's a serious passage. But what the passage is saying about God is something that we can immediately get through to our kids. First of all, God is good. God is always good, James 1, 13-18. God is light. He's never going to do something that's shady. When you think about God, it is about God's will. And God's will is good and always good. It's light, always light. And God is our creator. We are the creation. Temptation's hard. It's hard to see our children struggle with temptation and to fail. It's hard to know that your child may be viewing porn. It is hard on a parent to know that they are lying. But the fact that they are struggling with temptation can never be made more clear than when we hear of those struggles. And we want to provide help for them in dealing with temptation that is really helpful and positive. Number four. This is from James 1, 19-21. Help them to realize there's a time to be quick and to be slow. To put things away and to receive there's a time to be quick and to be slow. A time to put away and a time to receive. Let every one of you be quick to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. Putting away all evil and wickedness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. Our son spent about 10 years working in the oil patch out in West Texas, like many people out in West Texas. He always had a love for God, I think, and could talk to people. <clears throat> but he was thinking he just didn't want to preach in the sense of he thought it would be really hard to deal with the brethren <laughs> getting up and teaching a class or preaching a sermon is one thing 
by 10 years in the oil patch and seeing things in the, in the oil patch and seeing the nature of the world and seeing the need for preachers, he decided 10 years later that he wanted to be a preacher. And he's been doing it now full time for the last year or so. I'm glad that he wasn't quick, too quick to jump in. He might have gotten discouraged earlier on. He had reached a point of greater maturity. He's married, has been for a number of years. Got two, three great kids. Help them to realize there's a time to be quick and a time to be slow. There's a time to put things away. And there's a time to receive it and run with it. Help your children to understand that. Number five. James 1, 22-27. Parents, help your children to love, learn, and apply God's Word. Help your children to love, learn, and apply God's Word. Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Help your children to long to practice pure religion. Pure religion. Bridling their tongue. Taking care of the needy. Keeping oneself unspotted from the world. <coughs> I don't believe those are things that any of us as parents will ever regret. Amen? James is speaking wise words, not just for churches to grow up, but words of wisdom to help us as parents in helping our children grow up too. Number six, James chapter 2, 1 through 13. Love this one. Help them not to hastily and wrongly judge others. Help them not to hastily and wrongly judge others. Partiality, respect of persons, favoritism on the basis of appearance, or achievement, or ancestry, something like that. Jesus would say, judge not according to appearance, judge righteous judgment, John 7, 24. Parents will sometimes with their children be guilty of the very thing that we ought not <laughs> be, and we're trying to teach our children not to be partial discriminatory showing respect to persons here's the answer every person was created in the image of God we will never look on the face of another human being who doesn't matter to God how do we view others as parents Christian parents how about the golden rule being practiced of doing unto others as you would have others do unto you? Matthew 7, 12. <coughs> James 2, 1 through 13 is stout stuff, strong stuff. Something that we should be thinking about as it concerns our children. 
Number seven, parents. Help them to see that show and tell is more than just a game. James 2, 14 through 26, show and tell is more than just a game. Some can tell, but they don't show. Some people who say little show a lot. But there is a blessedness to being balanced here. Faith and works. A faith that works through love. Galatians 5 and verse 6. And at a very young age, we can instruct children and train children and model children <coughs> a faith that loves God and expresses itself in service in a wide variety of ways. And I'll guarantee you this. Your children will amaze you. The ways they respond to God in faith. It was mentioned last evening here that my mother had taken a fall and was taken to the emergency room. She's well into her 80s, and the rest of that I won't go into. It's none of your business. 80 and none of your business was kind of how she would answer you if you asked her. And she's a pretty feisty lady. I would always say uh, that her favorite song as I was growing up was by Merle Haggard, Mama Tried. <laughs> Mama Tried. Okay. Well, she took a fall. She was bleeding profusely uh, from around the eye area, just below the eye. You know how thin skin is there, especially as we get to be older? Extra thin. And she had to go to the ER. And our daughter went to pick her up at the care facility and took her to the ER and then took her home last night where she spent the night with our daughter and our granddaughter and our son-in-law. It's probably not the type of thing that you would think of her as running to do, although she's a very gifted person. But the sight of somebody else's blood is really hard to deal with for her. You know what I mean? Sometimes it is. But she wanted to overcome that because she knew that we were here and because that was her grandmother. <clears throat> and Cherie and I smiled when everything happened because it's amazing how God works in family's life. We couldn't be there and someone stepped up who would find it kind of hard to do in a circumstance like that. And God blessed all of us. He does that, doesn't he? Number eight, this would be James chapter 3, 1 through 12, and this is such an important principle for parents. Parents, help your children to understand the weight of their words. Words have great weight to bless and to encourage, but words have great weight to destroy and to kill. <coughs> Children will experience those words as they get a little bit older. They'll hear people say things like, I don't like you. Why don't you just go away? They'll hear things like that, sadly. But they need to hear, and they should hear, especially from us, words of love and affirmation 
belonging. You're special. You're God's gift to us. We love you. We want to encourage you. The weight of words. It's a shame sometimes that in purportedly Christian homes, words are uttered like you're stupid, you're no good, you'll never amount to anything, etc. And don't think that that's a past time. It still happens far too frequently. And churches have ministers that are trying to help clean up the messes that some of us make as parents because we don't think about the weight of our words. Help them see the weight of the words. Number nine. Parents, this is from James 3, 13 through 18. Listen to James. He's working with churches, but it applies to parents as they bring up their kids. Parents, Help them to be more than bright. Help them to be wise. Help your kids to be more than bright. Help them to be wise. I don't believe children have problems with brain cell capacity and using them. They may lie dormant for a while with brain cells, but you know, they've got them. They've got them. But sometimes a highly intelligent, perhaps even brilliant person you'll encounter. But they're not wise. A person can be brilliant without being wise. Isn't that the truth? But a person who is wise in the sight of God will be bright. Bright as a light. A light for Jesus. John 8, 12. Think of the seven characteristics of the wisdom from above in James 3, 13 through 18. Verse 17 especially. Help them to be more than smart and bright. Help them to be wise. See the wisdom of God. Number 10. I love this one. James 4, 1 through 12. James 4, 1 through 12. Parents help them to know that pride and selfishness will lead to quarrels and wars. Pride and selfishness always leads to quarrels and wars. Humility and trusting God lead to blessing. Sometime just notice that in James 4, 7 through 12, there are 10 imperatives. Think about that in connection with selfishness and pride always lead to quarrels and wars. But humility and trusting God will lead to blessings. Y'all having fun yet? I'm starting to. Number 11. From James 4, 13 through 17. Parents, teach them the error of presumption that planning must never occur without consulting God and His will and prayer. James 4, 13 through 17. 
Teach children the error of presumption that planning should never occur that leaves God out of the picture. How old is that little one that you're carrying right there? No plans. Teach them. No plans should ever be made where you don't think about what would God want. And let's take this to God in prayer. And when that little one sees Mama and Daddy do it in their own life, and that you really mean it, they'll try it too. And maybe the next generation and the next generation. That'd be pretty cool. Strong, silent type guy sitting next to you. There. Oh, now. <laughs> Twelve. Parents teach them that God will judge the wicked. James 5, 1 through 12. There are some things that are just best left to the good Lord. Isn't that right? Really everything is, but certainly judgment is. That will keep them away from revenge. That will keep them from having a huge chip on their shoulder. To be aware of the fact that a great God that cares for His people is going to judge the wicked. James 5, 1 through 12. 13. I did not practice or teach this as well as I should have. True confession, but it's from James 5 and verse 9. Parents, teach your children not to grumble. Not to complain. The greatest Christians I have known over the years seem to deal with trial with a great amount of trust and humility and yet also without complaint, without griping. I want to model that better for my grandkids than I did my children. And for most in this class, you probably thought of doing that with your children. So thank the Lord for that. Do all things without murmuring and complaining, Philippians 2.14, in my judgment, is one of the easiest passages in the Bible to understand and one of the hardest passages in the Bible to apply. Number 14, parents, and this is from James 5.13-20, parents teach your kids the value and place of the community of believers, the church. Teach your children the value and place of the community of believers, the church. That God's people should be known for their prayers. That God's people should be known for their praise, James 5.13. That God's people should be known for their concern for one another. Is any among you sick? God's people should be known for <coughs> their confession of sin. God's people should be known for bringing people back who wander away. The greatest father in all of the Bible is the father in Luke 15. 
and think of all that he does in waiting for a prodigal and with pleading and encouraging an older brother. And here's what I want you to see as we close. The greatest picture of the Father's love was painted by Jesus. But the greatest picture of the Father's love is Jesus. The greatest picture of God's love outside of Jesus may well be a godly mother and father. May God bless us.